Welcome to the PCS to Corporate America podcast from Cameron Brooks. Our mission here at Cameron Brooks is to help educate junior military officers about their transition options and to inspire veterans to transform their lives and their careers. Liam, thank you so much for being here. Um, I was thinking about on the drive into work today, like we're going to record this and I'm going to send this to Roger Cameron Renee Brooks, who I stay in touch with quite a bit. Uh, Roger, I just learned is now 89 years old as of September. Wow. No, wow. I, I guarantee they remember you. It's just where they are. So thanks for being here. I appreciate you coming and uh, sharing your story. Well, I appreciate being here, Joel. Um, my my call out to Roger and Renee, um, maybe not everyone in the world understands who they are or or knows about Cameron Brooks, but when I think about corporate America and the impact that military leaders have had um, on this country and this world, uh, I think they have to be one of those top 50 influencers um, in corporate America in terms of the people they place, the people they grew and develop. And in my case, um, you know, Roger saw something in me that honestly I didn't see in myself. And so uh, I'm grateful for that. But now having been, you know, in a variety of executive roles, um, I've seen the impact of Cameron Brooks and the military leaders that have come to corporate America. And I think about all the ones they placed long before me and the ones they placed long after me. And, and I believe that they, they should, uh, uh, they should hang their hat uh, pretty proudly that that they've impacted um, the world and and um, and leadership in corporate America in a way that um, some people probably don't even understand, but but I certainly do. Yeah, because Roger really was the the. I have a I have a colleague or a friend of mine that I went to college with that actually works in another company like Cameron Brooks. He even agrees. You know, Roger Cameron is the one that started all this. I mean, he's the one that initiated all this back during the Vietnam era. And, you know, one thing that you mentioned too, before, um, Roger said this all the time, you know, you're not going to get be to reach your potential, reach your goals, unless you stand on the shoulders of other people. Yeah. And uh, I've stood on the shoulders of both Roger and Renee, for me, probably a little bit more on Renee, um, just because I work more closely with her, but I, I owe her a lot as well. But Liam, why don't you tell, share the, share the listeners, let's start with your transition story. Uh, no. your background, you know, why you made the decision to get out that story with Roger and then where you started your career. Yeah, sure. Um, so, um, first of all, I was a Naval officer, so we're getting close to uh, army Navy games. So go Navy, got to give a plug for them. Um, my, my story started, um, really in high school, I went through, got an ROTC scholarship, was really excited about, um, you know, the opportunity to be in the leadership program of ROTC that flowed into um, into the Navy. And I still remember that, you know, the first day I stood um, on the deck of the ship and one of the, one of the sailors that worked for me came up to me and is like, well, what do we do today, sir? And I honestly had no idea what to tell him. Um, and so I said was, Hey, whatever you did yesterday, let's, let's find a way to do it better. And I think that's maybe the motto for my entire career uh, for myself. And I think it's a part of the military experience where um, people in the military are expected to learn new things. They are expected to um, go to any school. I mean, anyone in the Navy can go to a school and they're assumed that they're going to be able to do that next job or that that next big thing. And so I, I still remember that. And and what I, what I look back on it now is that was the beginning of really understanding what I thought military leadership was and what it really was were two totally different things. 
Um, and so, you know, we're trained that the rank on your sleeve and, and, uh, the insignia on your uniform is, is what determines how you lead. And in practice, that's actually not the case. What really happens is, is that you can give your soldiers and sailors and Marines, you know, just a couple things, one respect two time and three, the training and development to rise up and get to a higher rank, i.e. a higher pay, um, but also get the training necessary to stay safe. Um, and so I think that's really the, um, the, the military leadership model that that is not very well understood. And, and this is where your candidates um, are going to try to communicate that with companies. Some of the companies they interview with are going to be people that are former JMOs, and some will know the program works and is great, but they don't understand the military leadership experience. And so I always say to them, you know, it's a lot, it may be a lot easier to motivate people when you can change their salary and give them bonuses and give them commissions. Um, in the military, we don't have that at our fingertips. What we have is the way we lead um, determines the experience of of the men and women that serve for us. And I, I think that that started that day on, on the ship. So I'm, I'm thinking about leaving the Navy. Um, like many people, I wanted to make sure that um, my career rose, not according to a calendar of uh, promotions, but based on um, my individual performance and what I was able to achieve. And so that was one of the drivers of getting out. Um, but what I was looking for was a job and a position and a company and a team that I would have the same amount of pride in the mission that they accomplished as I did when I put on my uniform. Um, you know, uh, a lot of history of service in my family. Um, my brother was a nuclear submarine officer, also a Cameron Brooks alumnus. Uh, my father had a, a long storied career with the Central Intelligence Agency um, and others. So I really um, had this little bit of, of longing where I'm like, you know, I'm really proud of putting that uniform on and what we do and how we lead and what we do in the world how do I duplicate that in corporate America? Um, and so that led actually to Johnson and Johnson Ethicon. And I still remember when um, getting ready for the interviews, um, Roger calls me and he sounded a little like, I don't know about this Liam kid. Um, but he said, Liam, we're going to have you interview for sales. And I'm on the phone going, I'm six weeks away from leaving my paying job. And Roger's introducing a completely different career plan that I visioned for myself. I I remember hanging up the phone and my brother, who was a Cameron Brooks alumnus who went to work for Procter & Gamble, had a storied marketing career. I'm like, Roger wants me to go into sales. He's like, oh yeah, definitely. I go, what are you talking about? And he said to me the same thing that um, <clears throat> that I've said to other people about Roger. Roger saw something in me that I couldn't see. Um, and there were raw materials of what would make a successful sales, marketing, commercial, uh, eventually commercial leader. Um, and so I went to interview with with uh, Ethicon at the time. You know, in the '90s, Ethicon was the Intuitive Surgical of today, um, and maybe they still are. They're still an incredible uh, company. Um, went through you know two days of interviews. The first day, I was the only one that got a follow up. Uh, yes. And everybody's like, what'd you do? I'm like, I have no idea. Oh, yes. With Ethicon, you mean? This is the interview with Ethicon. Yeah. Okay. I, I said, I have no idea what I did in the interview. And 
you know, it goes back to the preparation. You know, I'll give a plug for the preparation process uh, for Cameron Brooks. Um, if you do that work, you can come in and you know yourself, and then you can have really good conversations about yourself. Um, but Roger saw something in me that that was was uh, special. I went to work um, at Ethicon Johnson and Johnson, and um, you know, had a, a very fast rising career there, and then transitioned into um, startup medical device um, companies and. Uh, I've had the opportunity to lead a few. So um, just a great start. But I, I look back and the way I coach people today, because I think one of the things that, that makes me happy um, when I'm coaching people, I'm looking for that raw material similar to what Roger saw in me and and then was able for me to communicate that in a, in a creative and effective way. Um, and so it's hard sometimes when you think in the military, okay, this is my next promotion and I'm a surface warfare officer, or I'm a missiles officer, or I'm a tank commander or whatever. And you go, how does that, how does that translate over? Um, that's the the magic of preparation for those interviews to really think about that in, in great detail and have the conversations, you know, with the people at Cameron Brooks that are, that are coaching, coaching you. I think that's really important because it's, it's hard to see yourself. It is hard to see yourself, um, and um, and I'm thankful for for the start we had with uh, with Roger. So I want to actually talk about something here because you talked about the preparation program and how important that is. I don't know; it's probably been a couple of years, but you hired somebody, one of our team, our our alumni, into a marketing role, yep. and you were telling me a story when we were setting this up that. You, you first day like a week of the job he went to the national sales meeting and you said you're not first here to, the job yep you're so, not uh, you're not here to train you are you have to speak up you have to bring your ideas yeah. and, and and i think the reason why i'm asking you this question about preparation why that's so important there's been so much emphasis on veteran recruiting which is good but unfortunately, GMOs get put inside that veteran bucket, which they are, but they're not like the enlisted or the NCOs or retiring people. They are, they do have the ability, at least from our perspective, to step right into a role that if they're prepared, they don't need to get go through like a training program. They're going to get trained. Yeah. You can talk about that with that experience with that person you hired. So yeah. you're prepared, you're a GMO, step in. You're in the job. So I, um, this was uh, when I was at ConMed, and I don't know if I'm supposed to mention names or not. Um, so Steve Burke uh, was my uh, um, JMO um, hire from uh, from Cameron Brooks. Um, he, he came in, um, former Marine Corps officer, decorated, successful logistics. Like he'd done all the great things that everyone at Cameron Brooks um, has done. And so our first our first meeting was, um, you know, we were launching some new products his first day in the job. Um, and I looked over at him because he was sitting in the back, kind of a little quiet. And, um, and I said, Steve, let me be very clear with you. There is no incubation period. I expect you to contribute today. And he contributed from day one with ideas and perspective or hearing people or rephrasing people or... Sometimes what's really powerful is when you ask a question that you're seeking understanding, oftentimes the rest of the group may not want to ask that question because they're like, hey, I've been here a while. I, I don't, I'm not sure I understand what Liam's talking about, but 
Um, so I'm not going to ask that question, but it forces people to um, to read um, read read use different words to describe a similar situation rather than be on this program track where everybody un- understands it. And so even questions can be uh, helpful. You see things walking in from the outside that somebody who's doing it doesn't. And I can give you numerous examples of marketing decisions where when I've joined a new company or we've brought in people that on purpose don't think like the group so they can go, I don't get that part. And then you realize, oh my God, I drank my own Kool-Aid. I I don't get it either. I got to change something. So um, you step right into that. There, there's that assumption where, you know, frankly, in the military, if somebody rotates out and you're the senior officer in that department, now you're the acting department head. And that happened to Steve within 90 days after he took over the job. There were some personnel changes. He was now the leader of the department that he had stepped into and had more seniority and experience than anyone. And we were, we were rebuilding that team. He ran it as if he had been there for years and made some mistakes and asked a lot more questions. But um, the expectation where if something happens, I'm stepping up and I'm moving up uh, to the next level to lead, that that I think is extremely positive. Um, that is something that means that two things. One, military leaders are not um, concerned about chaos and change. It is defined in the way people rotate in and out of roles. It's defined, and I have not been in combat luckily, but there are many people that have the chaos of that and the the way that's described by those people that have served in that environment. Um, it it's You're so used to that, that, you know, organizational change, which happens fast and often in corporate America, the military leaders, they don't blanket it. They're like, oh yeah, okay, Joe, Joe just moved to a new company or Sally just got promoted. We're still going. We still got the same mission. And so um, that that's one where um, you kind of feel like you're supposed to wait and see and look. Uh, I, I say step in. If nothing else, ask the powerful questions that need to be asked. Um, and if something doesn't make sense to you, it may not make sense to other people either. So um, yeah, that was and and Steve, his career and what he's done there has uh, has continued to rise. He is so hungry to learn um, and lead, and um, and it's evident everything he's done since since he joined Continent. So I think there's three things I pull out there for the listeners. One is, you, you know, you got a military officer. You bring the there's a talented junior military officer that brings that ability to lead in the time of uncertainty, change, chaos, and and get things done despite obstacles and not knowing everything. So that's one. Two, it takes preparation, right? You mentioned that. Like it takes, so instead of expecting to start your career and then prepare, prepare before you get out to step in to get into that role. Like you said, it's day one. We expect you because you don't know what's going to happen. I think there's some of this. So that's what Cameron Brooks offers, right? That's what that's what differentiates us in this marketplace. When you come through Cameron Brooks, you're going to get into a role where you're, where you're supposed to go into a position and have real responsibility on day one. If you're going right. to do that, you have to prepare before you get out. You got to read good books. You got to prepare to communicate business-like. So people think our interviewing program, Liam, is just an interview, but our interviewing program is about business communication. Yeah. It just happens to start with interviewing. 
if you're going to hit the ground running versus some other ways to make the, the transition. Well, I'll go through a training program or I'll do an internship first. Well, Karen Rook's designed to get you to step out and accelerate versus get hired with a whole bunch of people and see who rises to the top. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the internship programs, um, and I've run internship programs in a variety of companies, mainly college graduate or college um, college students or MBA graduates where I've led uh, recruiting for some of the top MBA schools. Um, so those internships definitely have have a purpose and a, and a function. I, I just believe that, and I think you've said it, but what, what the five years of military experience at brings, and here's the thing, it's not the five years. It's everything you did to get to those five years and then do those five years. Your story didn't happen the day that you raised your arm and said the oath. The, the story of military leaders starts when they're a kid and they want to be they want to be a, have better grades or they want to be a standout soccer player or they want to contribute in a way that, that they know that they are working harder. They're di- they're differentiating themselves from the start. They don't recognize it as that back then, but you're building this whole story of, hey, I had adversity in my life and this is what I did with it. There are all the chances for me to make bad decisions in my life. No, I made good ones. And those aren't easy. Those are actually harder. Good decisions are not the easy path. They're not the the fun. They're not always the fun path. But that starts long before you get to the military. Then you get in the military and instantly you have responsibility for people's lives, from for resources and machinery that is in the millions and billions of dollars. Um, not to mention that the mission of the military um, is one that's fairly serious. And so that that starts long before you get to the military. And you need to be able to articulate that in your story. If all you talk about is all the bullets on your resume, and I found my old Cameron Brooks resume um, a couple months ago, I didn't even understand it. And I lived it. How do you think a non-military person going to look at your resume? You're impressed because you're like, I was one of seven officers. I was one of 27 officers. I got promoted early. Navy Achievement Medal, whatever it is, you're the people you're talking to, they have no idea what that means. And so the context of it is uh, has to be processed in a, in a different way and communicated um, in, a, in a different way. The, the internships, though, I think are, to me, that's a lateral move that you don't have to make. Um, you are ready to contribute on day one. When you get out after five years of honorable service as an officer, regardless of what your responsibilities are, I, I know the numbers of Cameron Brooks takes such a small percentage of military people that are getting out. You you are the one percenters in the one percent block, not the political one percenter, the one percent block on the fitness reports. Um, you're ready to contribute day one. You don't have to prove yourself um, to earn an opportunity. You're ready to get an opportunity. But here's what I'm going to tell you. And this is a conversation I have with a lot of people early in their career. First off, salary doesn't matter. I don't care what the compensation is. When you get out, it's better than the military significantly. And you will, you will find that the market will determine your value. And if you achieve in your career, the way you've achieved in the military, that will take care of itself. Yes, you need to learn how to advocate for yourself, but if you're comparing three jobs and three offers, 
and the only thing that sticks in your mind is the number with a dollar sign, you're missing out because the early part of your career, I don't care what you make, it doesn't matter. Yes, they need to pay you what you're worth, but a job that is aligned with a pathway for you is more valuable than a job that pays you $20,000 more. A job that pays you half what, what another offer is but you recognize that there is a leader there that's going to develop and mentor you. And there's an organization that will rally around your experience as a military leader. That's worth $50,000 a year. As, as someone who has done executive coaching for CEOs and senior executives, where that coaching costs twenty-five dollars to $50,000 a year. Wow. So if you think about that and you find somebody who's going to invest in your development and care about you in that way, that's worth more than salary. The opportunity and the environment of where you're going is, is truly uh, more important in those first jobs. You're in the early part of your career where you're going to build two or three major building blocks, and that will propel you, if you want, into an executive leadership role. It doesn't matter what you started at. doesn't matter what your pay is. It's going to move up fast, and you have to have confidence in that. One of the things you mentioned is the coaching, too, and we talked about this before we got on the call today. Um, you talked about a book that you hand out about the five extraordinary patterns or the five patterns of extraordinary careers. Let's yeah. talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, so first of all, this book is like 20 or 30 years old, and I, I don't want to I don't want to be the old guy who's like, I remember I read this book in in high school, and this changed my life. Um, I think that that this book, and there's a reason why I've given it out to so many people even today, um, it provides um, kind of a roadmap of how to figure out where you where you should be. There's a lot of um, chapters in there about how to differentiate yourselves, and and those are equally powerful. Most of that content is still true today. But chapter five, to me, um, is the most important one. Keep in mind, this book was written by Jim Citron. Um, he, he, like Roger, he created the executive search uh, firm business and industry with Spencer Stewart. So um, he's placed more executives, CEOs, board members, I think, than anyone in the world still to this day. Um, and so they interviewed a bunch of their really successful executives that they placed, and they found this super group of people that were incredibly successful, even beyond their peers that were so happy at what they were doing. And believe it or not, they made a ton more money. And so they called the, they, they looked at this super group and said, what differentiates these people? Um, and there were three things in their careers that helped them get to, to the place where they were happier in their job than anyone else around them. They made more money and were financially successful. Um, and they were so satisfied with their career and life and everything. And it came down to three things. One, what are you good at? The strengths that you have, you have to find a way to leverage those. Roger found that strength for me a long time ago. And it basically was the roadmap for my career where he said, Liam, you're going to be great in sales. And then you're going to go into marketing. And then you're going to lead people in corporate America. And that's exactly what happened. So strengths, number one. Number two, what are you passionate about? When you find what you're passionate about and you're going to work in a place that you're passionate about. For me, that's healthcare. Healthcare has always been a personal mission for me, partly because I got a D in organic chemistry, which means I was never going to be a doctor. And I still wanted to be in healthcare. 
Um, and I started that at Johnson and Johnson and have chosen over my career over and over again to stay in healthcare. I'm passionate about being in the healthcare space. The last um, part of the three things is um, finding an environment that you love and that you thrive in, a culture. Um, this is the cultural fit. This is working with an organization where you're aligned with their mission, with the way they do things, the way they think that that is who you are. And so you bring your strengths and your passion for one thing. And then you get to work in an environment where you're like, man, this feels really good. Like I love going to work every day. I love being with these people. And certainly the work environment has changed dramatically with hybrid, remote, in-person, et cetera. Um, but when you can put those three things together, you will rise faster. You will be more satisfied and you will have con contributions to the world that are dramatic and significant. You'll be happier in your life. And so that that was um, that's that chapter from the five patterns of extraordinary careers, um, and um, hopefully that that uh, shares what you were looking for, Joel. Yeah, it does because you know I think a lot of people leave the military. I'm me included. I'm getting out because I want more control over my career. Not I want upside too, but I want more control. I don't particularly enjoy living in Colleen, Texas, or. Jacksonville, Florida is a little bit different wherever you got out from, but clean, you know, a lot of people are like, okay, it's time to, time to get back to a certain location or something like that. And that is like, listen, being around family is important. It provides meaning. I, yep. I, that. I think it gets discounted about how much, how important the work that you do is also meaningful. And meaning can come in a million different ways. Like the people you work with, the culture, do you enjoy the work? Are you using your strengths? Some people discount this below things like how much money can I make, name of a company versus the work that you're doing or the fit or location. I know we talk a lot about in this podcast because it is a thing. It gets prioritized uh, above what in the end, what really makes an extraordinary career. Like nobody, nobody in that book that I've read so far says, well, what made an extraordinary career is that I ended up living my majority of my career in Minneapolis, Minnesota, that made it extraordinary for me. Right. And I'm not saying family's not important or being nearby, but if you really look at like what is career, what's the equation for a meaningful career? I don't even mean success, but a meaningful career. It's those I, I would I, I would tell you that the the concept I would add to that. So the meaning, what I always call the mission, um you know, there's an implied mission in the military um, that you don't really talk about it. You just do it. Like everyone that puts on the uniform signs up for the mission every day. Um, in corporate America, you got to find the companies that have mission and vision. And I don't mean the ones that have really great branding of sayings and placards and things like that. Um, because everyone does that. The question is, does that come out in the air in the way people breathe and and live and make decisions in the company? Um, so I, I think that's that's a very important um, choice. For me, that's almost the buyer's regret that you know you buy a new car and you're instantly like, man, did I buy the right car? Um, when I get out of the military, I was like, I, it was hard to take off that uniform. I was really proud of my service. Um, and so I had to find an organization that I was going to be just as proud 
in this case, J&J, their uniform was blue suits, white shirts, and red ties at the time. Thank God we're not doing that anymore. But um, it was kind of like, am I going to be as proud of this as as, uh, as saying I'm a naval officer? Um, and so that that is that is more important than you realize when you're when you're transitioning out. I think the other thing about careers that is really important: the work you do in the first ten years after you get out in the military basically creates choices. What you want to do with your career when you get out. You are assembling skills and experiences that give you career choices because as you strengthen, you create this foundation of, for me, it was sales skills, then marketing skills and sales training skills and sales operation skills that basically opened up any commercial leadership role for my career because I had all those building blocks. If I had said, Hey, I just want to go up. What's the fastest way up in sales? be a sales rep, be a sales manager, be a sales director, be a sales VP. You've now gone down a very narrow pathway. If that's what you want, great. But if you're looking for a leadership role in sales, you're competing with 100,000, a million people that want to be VP of sales somewhere. If you want to be a commercial leader, which is a much broader opportunity, you need to build your skills broader. You need to build choices um, into where you can do different, different things. So I think when you think about building a career, if you do the different jobs unrelated to salary, you will get paid what the market bears. There's so many, there's so many tools uh, um, and things in the marketplace today to make sure that companies do it equitably. It's not perfect, and we still got work to do in wage equality and things like that. But the systems are getting a lot better. The transparency of different states gets us there. So I, I'm not gonna. I don't worry about salary, and I tell everyone that I've hired, like, I want to get you the best financial package so that we never have to talk about money, that it just happens. I want your promotion to happen a month before you even ask about it. I mean, that's, that was kind of the, the pathway that I wanted to create around people. Um, but the choices part, if you do the right building blocks early on, there's more choices because then you could say, I have to go to Minneapolis, my family's there, or my dad's sick, or my mom needs more care and I've got to move to Virginia. If you built a career where it's not salary based, it's based on skills, experiences, broaden, broadening yourself, those choices, there'll be more of those choices if you have to make them and if you want to make them. Those choices don't come when you have a narrow pathway where you're like, I'm only going to do this, I'm only going to do this, and I'm only going to do this. You're eliminating those opportunities in the future. And really, as the first step into corporate America, what you're trying to do right now is is open up opportunities for more responsibility and different things. That's exactly it. Chuck, you know, Chuck, we haven't talked about Chuck. You, Chuck, was was Chuck here when you came through? Uh, um, I know you no, worked with he, Chuck. It was it was right around that time that I think, yeah. I think he came on shortly thereafter. Yeah, I think so. Chuck's the CEO for the listeners, the CEO of our company. Of course, you worked with him as a client hiring from. I actually went to high school with Chuck. Is that right? Okay, so we go back. Wait, I think somehow I yeah. do. There's a story there. Yes, I remember telling that. Um, but Chuck says the same thing. Narrowing leads to narrowing. Like they're in the, they're trying to think about, is there anything in life where you narrow down and you narrow down that that actually creates more options for you? So it doesn't, you know, and, but narrowing needs to, to narrowing. And so you said it, said it really, really well. The other thing too, Liam, because you've coached so many people, do you know anybody that's, post 
three to five years post-transition out of the military, or even people at your level that are living where they don't want to be? I mean, I moved I moved to Colorado um, a couple of years ago because I wanted to be near the mountains. Um, at the time, I was general manager of a startup. And then uh, the job at ConMed came open. And I was like, this is this is cool. This is a bigger scale. So I wouldn't have been eligible for that job if I hadn't had a broad set of skills. They were looking for a marketing commercial leader. Um, that opportunity came because I had sales experience, marketing experience, sales operations, training, startup product development. All of that came from a wide variety of experiences. Yeah. Uh, and I got to choose Denver and that company chose me. They wanted my skills. So no, I, I think I think the broader you you have, the the better able you are to to make those choices. Early yeah. on, that's not always the case. Um, when Ethicon was hiring, they back then they put all the military JMOs in all the cities that no one wanted to live in. So I'm trying to remember the cities. I had like Metairie, Louisiana, Corpus Christi, Texas, South Texas, and there was one other in the middle of nowhere, like Oklahoma or whatever. And those were the three that were offered to me. Um, and I'm like, I, I, I want to go work for Ethicon. This is one of the premier companies in the world. I'm going to get the best sales training and development and management leadership development. I ended up in Corpus Christi, great four years of my life, right at the beach, um, saw a new part of, of, uh, the country that I never would have seen. It was incredible. Um, you know, and, um, but that, that gave me choices later on because I did that. I excelled in the job. And I mean, I, I think the other, the other part of it, and this is what, one of the things that's great about military people, you know, the resilience where we drop in anywhere, we're going to make it home. We're going to make it work. We're going to find the best things in that area and we're going to make a life out of it. Um, and so sometimes that means, you know, it's, it's not as exciting, but um, a lot of the companies now, if you're going into headquarters roles or you're in hybrid remote roles, you, there's a lot of flexibility there. So I think there's more options today than there ever, ever have right. been. Absolutely. Well, the, I think the big takeaways here um, are, uh, you know, the, the you, you, first of all, I, th I think like the value of being prepared and the value of using your military skill set to get into the, in the expectation, getting into a role where you can make an impact. That what ends up making an extraordinary career is using your getting into roles that use your strengths, that you're interested in, that you like, that you're a good fit with the culture. And then make the investment in your career. Those first five to 10 years are critical. They're really important. And they give you a lot of choices, both in personal and professional choices throughout your career. And you're obviously living, not only living that, but because you do career coaching for executives, you've seen this as well. Yeah, I, I think um, the early part of people's careers are, um, it's a lot harder because um, the people that are that are coaching and developing the entrance into corporate America are first line managers. So they themselves are, are learning how to coach and develop. And they're just trying to figure out how do I communicate, much less how do I see this person? And so... I, I think I've been lucky now that as I've seen so many different things in my in my career, um, both in the military and out, that I can I can talk to someone and see what the raw material that they have that they don't even recognize. I think one of the biggest compliments I get from people that I coach is I didn't even think that was possible for me. And not only did you 
see it in me. You encouraged it, and then you helped me build a plan to get there. Um, and so, as as you look at those early years, you need to find people that will give you the the guidance and the perspective. Um, and it's not always just your manager. Um, I think there's a reason you go up a level or two. You know, having the CEO coach you when you're a first line entry uh, employee into a company that's probably not as valuable as a mid-level manager, a director or an early VP that's like, hey, I'm close enough to where you were. I can guide you on this path. And this is the most important part. When you find a coach and you're looking for a coach, if they start coaching you before they know who you are, then they're never going to be able to coach you fully. Because basically what they're saying is, do it my way or do it the, this way because this is the way it is. Coaching starts with really the coach understanding the person, who they are, what motivates them, what's the what are the experiences from childhood that changed the way you thought, what adversity have you been through, what are the things you're afraid of? When you learn those and then you see the person, that's the whole person in, in coaching. So if you sit down with somebody for advice and they don't ask you any questions about yourself or what you're afraid of, that's that's not somebody who's gonna get to know you well enough to really, really um, coach you. And here's the thing. When you ask somebody who's early in their career, what do they want to be? I remember telling my father, I want to be the CEO of Johnson & Johnson. He laughed at me. He's like, what? Like, how do you know that? Like, what is that? I, I didn't even know what that was. I didn't even know. And Jim Burke, who went to the same college that I went to, arguably one of the greatest CEOs of all time, who managed Johnson & Johnson during the Tylenol crisis. I, I said, that's what I wanted to be. So I can imagine me saying that to my my boss when I joined Johnson and Johnson. Well, what does that What does that mean? Like you you don't even know where you, where you're going. So you need to find people that are going to help help you explore yourself and know yourself, and then try to see what are the interim things that create the choices that might have led to that. So um, I'm not sure if that makes sense, but I think I yeah, think it does. I think it does. I mean, it really does because you you know you could um, just. I think coming back to that book, the chapter in the book of the extraordinary career and, you know, what do you want? What are you looking for? And, um, Liam, thanks for being here. Um, you've been a fantastic guest. So glad you reached out, wanted to share your insight. We love hearing from people that, um, know Roger Renee and have been through it. We love hearing those stories, part of our history. We want to share that. And um, thanks for being a client and, and hiring from us. Thanks for mentoring people that make the transition. And uh, thank you for being here. Thanks, Joel. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Cameron Brooks podcast. I have to say, I really enjoyed this one with Liam. I learned a ton. Uh, just great reinforcements uh, about the importance of making choices in the career, of you know, using the strengths, finding work where you have interests and then developing passions for it and working with people that you know, you fit and connect with. I hope you enjoy the next episode where my colleague Pete Van Epps is going to interview a Cameron Brooks alumnus uh, that made the transition a few months ago. And this alum, Colin Floyd, um, was doing his own transition, um, didn't have a great plan um, and wasn't able to find work uh, that it was interesting to him where he was able to use his strengths and um, with good people. I think it's a great example of this and uh, ended up turning to Karen Brooks 
and had a very successful career search. And uh, Pete's going to talk to him about uh, the value of the Cameron Brooks plan um, and how we helped Colin launch his post-military career. So stay tuned for episode 189 next with Colin Floyd.